guys, my name is Wale and I'm the leader of Imprint Church and I want to thank you so much for tuning into our online service. If this is your first time, please feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Imprint TV, or you can listen to us on Imprint Podcasts. God bless you guys.
different. We believe the Christian life is a partnership between God and the Christian family, the church. God is the source of all things, including our money, and we give back to him in the form of tithes and offerings. This enables the church to undertake the work to which God has called us, extending the kingdom and giving to his name. You can give via bank transfer or at weareimprint.org slash give. What's up guys? So we are concluding our Redefining Church series and the title of today's sermon is Run Well. So if I'm being honest, um, after Boris Johnson's announcement where he said we're still going to be in lockdown, I was actually quite bummed down. And I remember going up to my room and I basically was just saying to God, God, you know, I've survived eight weeks and I'm not sure if I can do any more. And I really just miss being, um, you know, doing church physically, I miss the community and seeing them in person. And even though I'm grateful for technology, it's definitely much more harder than when we actually do church in person. And I actually felt really discouraged and demotivated. And I remember the Lord just saying to me that do not get weary of doing good. And this actually comes from Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, where it says in the NLT version, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And a similar message was spoken to the Jewish Christians in Hebrews. And just to give some context, the Jewish Christians in those days were facing fierce persecution. And for some of them, they were even being imprisoned. And it got so bad that actually a few of them left the faith. And they were basically in a point where they said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm not sure if I can go any longer. And they were really discouraged. And the writer of Hebrews was trying to encourage these Christians and he did this by talking about the concept of faith. And that's what we're really going to dive in today. We're going to talk about faith. So what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 really clarifies it. It says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. I'll read that again. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So therefore, there are some realities that we have no physical or material evidence for, but it doesn't make these realities any less true. Faith enables us to know these realities are actually true. So I believe faith is twofold. I believe that faith, first of all, is a conviction, it's a belief system, and second of all, it is evidence. So conviction, and it is the conviction and the appearance of that conviction is evidence of what is unseen or what is to come. And one commentator actually says this. It says that faith is like a sense, just like your eyes enables you to see the material and physical world, faith enables you to see the spiritual world, a world that you can't see. I also like to say that faith is almost like a notification that God is about to do something. And in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, it really paints a picture of heroes of faith, of different situations that people in the Bible went through and how they actually got labelled to become um, examples of faith. of faith. And the one thing that separates a believer from an unbeliever is faith. And the Bible even says you can't please God without faith. So let's take a deeper look at some of these heroes of faith listed. So first of all, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, it talks about Abel. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made a difference. So it's because of what Abel believed about God that Abel's faith looked like great sacrifice. He brought the best of what he had to God. And let's look at Enoch. So it says, by an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on this basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond. So with Enoch, his faith looks like close intimacy with God. He sincerely sought after God. And in Genesis chapter 5 verse 24, it actually says that Enoch walked in such close fellowship with God that he didn't die, he just disappeared. The Lord took him. Like imagine walking in such close intimacy with God that even physical death cannot separate you from him. And I love when this um, passage actually says, anyone who wants to approach God 
must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond. And for some of us, perhaps our issue is that, yes, we actually do believe in God, but perhaps the issue is that we, do, we don't believe that he cares enough to respond. And even for me personally, I remember when I went through a situation and it was really rough and I was like, oh gosh, and I tried to like find a way to process it and I tried to find a way to get over it. And I remember um, the Holy Spirit just speaking to me and I just heard God say to me like, well, why didn't you involve me in this situation? Why didn't you talk to me about it? And I remember saying to God that, God, I didn't want to bother you. I didn't think you really cared about this. And God said to me, Wale, I'm interested in every area of my life. And I'm sure for many of us, we can relate when a close friend comes to us and shares like a crazy situation that they've been in. And they were like, yeah, this is what I went through. And you almost respond like, why am I just hearing about it now? Like, how come you didn't let me know sooner? And they respond, I actually didn't want to bother you. A lot of the time when we hear things like that, it grieves our heart. So just imagine how much more it actually grieves God's heart. And the reality is, is that God is a God who cares enough to respond. And often just because other people have let us down, other people haven't been there for us, we can actually attribute that to God. We can attribute other people's failures to God. And an actual fact that the truth is that God cares enough to respond to us. And what does close fellowship mean? Close fellowship actually means when we involve God in every area of our life. It means that sharing together in every aspect of our lives. Like imagine the idea of sharing life with God, sharing an experience of God. And that's what close fellowship looks like. And that's why Enoch was considered a person of great faith because that's what his life carried. And let's look at the story of Noah. So Noah displayed great faith because he literally had insane obedience. Insane because everybody else thought he was insane for building a boat. And the Bible says this, it says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on it and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. Yeah, I just wanna pause there. We can see that faith has a result. When you're obedient, there's a result. And his result was that his whole family was saved. Let's continue. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness of the believing world. We can see that again, that faith distinguished the believer from the unbeliever. Let's continue. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. Amazing. Okay, let's look at the life of Abraham. Abraham, by an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he had left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country, promised him, lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on, on an unseen city with real eternal foundations. The city designed and built by God. So what did Abraham do? Abraham displayed great faith by taking a step into an unknown place that the Lord had, that the Lord had been speaking to him about and he even resided as a foreigner in that particular region. And Martin Luther King once said this, he said, faith is like taking a step without seeing the full staircase. And if I was to be honest, and very rarely does God actually give us the full picture of how something is gonna come about. But what he does is that sometimes he just gives us a glimpse and he calls us into obedience into that thing. And what I've noticed about God is that he adds more on the journey. He adds more revelation. And to be honest, a lifestyle of faith means that we have to let go of this idol of having everything in control, of having everything figured out. For some of us, we literally say, before I actually obey God, before I take a step in this direction, I need to have all these things sorted out. I need to have more time, I need to have more skill, I need more talent, I need more money, I need this and I need that. When in actual fact, if we look at the story of the parable of the talents, we can see that the Lord added to the servant that was faithful with what he already had. You know, he didn't need any more for him to actually 
walk in obedience with what God had given him and what God had asked him to do. And the reality is God adds and perfects those who are obedient and moving, not those who are idle and stagnant. And the servant that didn't do anything with his talent, that didn't do anything with his resources that the Lord had already given him, you know, and just gave excuses, that servant was called by his master a wicked and slothful servant. So essentially, <laughs> his, his, his rebuke was that he was wicked and he was lazy. And often this fear of failure, this fear of getting it wrong, is actually pride in disguise. It's pride in disguise because it's indulgent on how we look rather than what God actually wants us to do. And the reality is, if we are saying that we are preoccupied with things of God, then our lives will actually look more like risk and wonder rather than dullness and reservation. And if I'm being honest, it's not in God's heart to keep us in cycles, but very often disobedience keeps us in cycles. And just like the Israelites, you know, all the way when they actually were set free from Egypt, the journey from Egypt to the promised land only should have taken 11 days. But because of their constant disobedience and because of their rebellion, it took them 40 years. And in our lives, let's break that cycle by obeying God at first mention. Amen. Okay, let's also look again at Abraham. So verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, he, he was ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this after he had already been told, Your descendants shall come from Isaac. Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back alive of the altar. So again, Abraham's faith looked like sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice the most important thing because he so believed that God will be faithful to his word, that God who gave him a promise that you will have numerous descendants, that if you're calling me to sacrifice my son, you're either going to resurrect him or something else is going to happen. And that's why he was someone who was called a man of great faith because he believed God more than his circumstance. Okay, let's look at the situation of Moses. By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptians' royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic, soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. So what did Moses' faith look like here? Moses' faith looked like him laying down his riches, his title for hardship with the Israelites. His focus was on the word that God gave him, that I will use you to be a great deliverer for these Israelites. And let's also look at a quick synopsis of some of the other key figures of how they carried out their faith. So this is what it says in verse 32. It says, I could go on and on, but I'll run out of time. There are so many more, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, through acts of faith, I love this, this is what it says, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, and sword thrusts, turned disadvantage to advantage, won battles, routed alien armies, Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preparing something better, um, better resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sword, sword in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering in the earth, in animal skin, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as making their way as best as they could on the cruel edges of the world. And these are all examples. And what do all these examples of faith show? It shows that faith looks like something. And in primary school, I would have said faith is a doing word. It means that faith requires a response. It requires us to be proactive. Faith without works is dead. 
And if we are people that say we have faith in God and faith in life eternal, then what does it require? It requires us to be radically and consistently obedient all the way to the end. And for some of the champions of faith, it required their lives. And this is what faith looks like. And I quickly just want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm going to be reading from the NLT version. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So what is this saying? It says, since we have such great examples of faith that have been shown in the previous chapter. Let's continue. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So we know what that, so we know what that sin would be personally for us. And let us run with endurance, resilience, the race God has set before us. So what is a weight? So a weight is different from sin. So a weight is a burden that is put on you that prevents you from focusing on the things of God or prevents you from completing the things of God. And I really feel like the story of David and Goliath is actually a great um, example of this and it really paints a picture of what a weight is. So, and when it comes to David and Goliath, so David, um, what volunteered to fight Goliath, he volunteered to fight this great beast that everyone was um, afraid of, this huge, huge giant. And um, everyone thought he was crazy, but they're like, okay, if you're going to volunteer, you might as well wear King Saul's armour. So the Bible says that David tried on King Saul's armour. He took his um, tunic, he took his um, armour and he took his sword. And when he tried to move in this, David said, I can't go in this. I'm not used to this. And as a result, David said, you know what, I'm, he took off the armour and he took five stones and he took a slingshot. And that's what he used to defeat Goliath. And Hebrews 12 paints a picture of an athlete, of someone running a race. And what would a great athlete do? An athlete would take off the unnecessary layers they have in order to run the race well. And for example, um, Hussein Bolt was known as the fastest man in the world. And he won, you know, so many titles. But I can assure you that in the Olympics, if Hussein Bolt was wearing a um, North Face bomber jacket and was wearing black skinny jeans and black Timberlands, I can assure you he would not win gold in the Olympics. Why? Because he's wearing unnecessary layers. And that's the reality, that sometimes these unnecessary layers can really um, take us off our focus of God and can actually prevent us from um, completing those things that God has laid out before us. And similar to this, David had to take off the unnecessary layers and he took off Saul's armour. And when he took off Saul's armour, essentially he was taken off someone else's expectation of how he should do his race, of how he should defeat Goliath. And the reality is, for some of us, our weight is other people's expectation. Our weight is perhaps, those expectations perhaps comes from our friends, our colleagues, our siblings, our parents. And just like David, that when he wore Saul's armour and said, I can't go in this, I'm not used to this. We need to lay down those other expectations, those other layers that people put on top of us. And I just hear the Lord saying that, go back to the way I've been training you. Stick to our training plan and be you. Okay, let's continue. Verse 2. And it says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we run our race well by keeping our eyes on Jesus. One translation says, we do this by gazing upon Jesus. Do you know what a gaze means? Imagine someone gazing at you. Honestly, let's say if someone was gazing at you, you perhaps would be thinking like, like why, is, is, is everything okay? <laughs> Are you all right? Because what does gazing mean? Gazing means to look steadily and intently, especially in admiration, surprise or thought, to look steadily and intently at a person. And let's continue. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do our race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Another translation says this, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
And I want to wear that this literally means that when it comes to our life, that Jesus is on the starting line and Jesus is also on the finish line and Jesus is also running <laughs> with us between. So what does that mean? That Jesus is our consistent running mate, that he knows our beginning and he knows our end and he's able to meet us in between the journey as well. And Philippians chapter one, verse six says, it says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he is faithful throughout all the journey. And I really feel like some of us just need to hear that, that God is not just interested in the final destination, but he's also interested in the journey as well. Okay, let's continue. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the host hostility he endured from, from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And I love the part where it says, because for the joy awaited him. And if I'm being honest, I don't think Jesus enjoyed the cross. I believe he endured it because, um, because of the joy of seeing his people set free from sin and its judgment and being reconciled to a loving relationship with their Heavenly Father. And for some of us, we need to adopt a similar mentality. For some of us, it will honestly feel like we need to endure this season because we will experience great joy in seeing what was prophesied over our nation, cities and families come to pass in the next season. But even so, even in this season, God is still at work. In the midst of chaos, death, fear, absolute boredom, God is still saving people and healing people and transforming lives. And I even know people who have been saved, who have given their life to Jesus, who have met Jesus for the first time in this season of pandemic. So let's be encouraged, God is still on the move. And let's just also focus on the life of Jesus. So we can see that in, from the Garden of Gethsemane and all the way to the cross, which would have been Jesus' toughest season, Jesus kept his cool and his character was immaculate. So for example, Jesus did community so well and we can see that in the example of the Last Supper. Even when um, in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to arrest Jesus and one of his disciples, Peter, Peter struck, tried to defend Jesus, actually struck one of the soldiers' ears that came to and arrest Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible said that Jesus, kind and so tender-hearted, he actually healed the soldier's ears and said, no, we're not doing this. And when it came to Jesus being beaten and accused, he didn't pause and didn't say, okay, do not forget this. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not dying on the cross. No, in his toughest season, Jesus did not forget his assignment. And also when he was on the cross, Jesus showed mercy to the rebel next to him. And even when people were taught in him, it, the Bible actually says in Luke 23 and verse 34, he said, forgive them father for they do not know what they are doing. And often in tough situations, we can justify letting ourselves go. And I'm not just talking about um, food, even though that might be a reality for some of us, but no judgments. Um, but I'm talking about sometimes we can justify losing our temper, binging, disconnecting from others, giving ourselves to old habits, ignoring the ones around us, selfishness and compromise in tough season. But when you endure, when you do your season well, when you are faithful to the end, you resemble our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And lastly, I'll end on this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five, it says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So let me just give some context. So for the Jewish Christians um, in this time, they basically couldn't understand why God would allow them to be in such a dire and tough situation. And the reason the Lord allows us to be in this tough situation sometimes is to prune us, is to shift our focus back on what's actually important, to remind us of who he is, to cultivate endurance and resilience in us, to reveal our idols, to raise our faith, to humble us. And in some cases, 
even to make us more capable to comfort those at a later stage and to also bring healing to the most broken parts of us. And I love what Rabbi Zachariah says about the chastisement of God and how God disciplines and he gives us the shape poem. He says this, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mould a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects who him royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands how he mends but never breaks when he is good he undertakes how he uses who he, whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his blender out God knows what he's about and the reality is, is that often as, um, you know, men and women of God, we don't always see the big picture, just like Job. Job didn't see the big picture. He could only really see his physical situation and his physical reality. But the reality is, is that God sees the biggest picture and we can trust him. So yeah, I just pray boldly and it might sound like a crazy prayer, but I just pray that God continues the deep work of cultivation inside of us and he really strengthens us in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.
are just continuing with that heart posture of worship. There's no
So we're at the end of our service, but before we leave, I'd just like to say, if you have any prayer requests, we actually have a virtual prayer team who would love to pray for you, and you can access them via the Zoom link below. And also, if you are new to faith or would like to give your life to Jesus, then you can actually get in contact with us at weareimprint.org, and someone from the team will get connected with you. God bless your family, and I'll see you next week.